this is Jerome with episode 16 of More Life. In this episode, Elaine Jacobs and I talk about doing the hard stuff, connecting emotionally, courage, leadership, loss and responsibility. Elaine Jacobs is a leadership expert, coach and educator with a passion for helping individuals and organizations create environments that foster growth and innovation. She has over a decade of experience teaching leadership in South Africa as well as prestigious institutions like Yale and MIT. She's a leadership coach and the founder of The Leadership Academy, where she offers online coaching and learning opportunities for those looking to become high-performance coaches. In addition to her work as a leadership expert, Elaine is an author and a scientist with a background in chemistry. She has authored several books on leadership, courage and authenticity and is dedicated to helping individuals find their purpose and reach their full potential. Here at More Life, we explore questions such as how can we feel more alive and how can we create more aliveness around us from a variety of perspectives. If that's something for you, join all the others and subscribe. Welcome, welcome to the show, Elaine. I want to start right away with a question. How do we create more life? Ah, oh, yay. Oh, well, thank you so much, Jerome, for, uh, for this wonderful platform. I think that it's always an amazing thing to be able to do together and more life. I don't know whether you've seen on my uh, Zoom, anyone who joins me on Zoom, I have the statement of yes to life, <laughs> which is kind of the passcode to get into the Zoom room. And people ask me like, Elaine, what's with that? What's with yes to life? And I do think that we're at the point in history where we need to identify what more life, what what does yes to life look like? Because for a lot of times we took things for granted and I think it's like almost like the great reset. <laughs> the past few years has been a great reset for a lot of us. And for me, more life is just, you know, family, like keeping true to the values that I set out. Family mm -hmm. time is, is like f good family relationships, I think for me is important. And um, yeah, living, living the Dolce Vita, as I call it, which is the sweet life. Um, for many people, it looks like it's a life by the ocean that actually is not work, <laughs> but like fun. And I think it's that's, that's not what it means for me. For me, it's really living a purposeful life where I know I'm making an impact. And more life for me is living more of that purpose out. And it can be by the ocean, but there's an mm -hmm. intentionality to it. That is, I'm here to dent the universe. And so... So every day waking up with that is is more life for me. Right. So it's not leisure time. It is being on, being aligned with your purpose, with your daily actions or weekly yes. actions. Yes. Yes. With with your life, actually, with everything, you know. And, and I think that that's the thing that for many of us, we've been speaking about purpose for a long time and looking at organizations specifically to say, you know, what what is the purpose of this organization? And working in the corporate sector, it wasn't something that people could answer because they had a whole lot of strategies that they could tell you, oh, this is what we're doing. But what's the why behind it? What, what's the reasons? I do think the generation that is coming up right now that's entering the workplace are more purpose orientated and it's forcing organizations to look at purpose but i think going as far as an organization's purpose without looking at our individual ones is kind of not um kind of meeting the goal so 
figuring out why it is that we're here, what is it that fuels us, what are our strengths that speaks to that, you know, that fueling. All of those mm -hmm. things are beautiful conversations that I get to be able to have with people these days, which is beautiful. And so for me, I'm, you know, it's like I almost have to pinch myself to say, seriously, is this what I get to do in the world? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that's more, that's more life than, than most. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, thank you. So what I hear in, in what you say is that it's important to tune into your own purpose first. Mm -hmm. And it's also important in a work environment that there is a, a yeah some clarity on what the purpose is, yeah. and then, of course, you want those two to be aligned. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And for me, I think uh, you know many times as leaders, and you know both of us, we work in the leadership space. Leaders having a shared vision with their teams. As probably one of the best way to create motivation and not to go after it to create motivation, because I think most times people look at it from that to say, like, how do I improve engagement? No, no, no. How do I share a vision that is compelling enough that gets someone to say, I want, I'm, I'm partnering with this. This I'm going to invest my time and my mind and my energy to. And I, I do wish that more people would catch on to that. Mm -hmm. This is kind of our work, right? It's kind of vital your work to work with leaders. And yeah. some, I, I find a lot of resistance, Yoram. You know, I find a lot of people unwilling. And I think that in some ways just irritates me. <laughs> I mean, like, why wouldn't you catch on to this? Because mm -hmm. you're not going to attract good talent if you're not going to look at what is this vision that you're after? What is this inspiring picture of the future that you're yeah. trying to create? Absolutely, and and you, and you will probably lose good talent that you already have if you don't yeah. communicate that. Yeah. So I have to think of a client of mine I've I've been working with for a while, um, coming close to a year now, yeah. who is in a leadership position in the clean tech space. Um, it's a, a startup, and they have a very clear mission mm. as a company. They have a very clear mission. Uh, a very clear, audacious mission to improve the world, basically. Mm. They use different words, but, you know, I'm paraphrasing. And sure. he told me that that mission was not connected to what they were doing. Wow. Not in the sense that they were not contributing to it, but in the sense of they didn't see the connection. Mm. So like, you know, on a day-to-day, -day, they analyze data and write emails and have meetings and how is that going to improve the world, right? So um, through the work together, he came up with different uh, initiatives that actually led to every week the team coming together and identifying specifically how specific tasks led to or lead to that mission. Yeah. And that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. I, I agree. So I don't know if you know, like my my background is international development. So I've always worked with, the INGOs, the UK Aid, Care International, USAID. And we've always had, because we were project and program related, the, the why and what is it that we're doing was always linked to our objectives and what we do every single day. And so, you know, um, in our reporting as well, it would be like, hey, uh, you know, this is what I did. I was at the local municipality office. I was trying to get sanitation. 
And in a way, it links up to a major strategic objective. Coming to work in the corporate space, I find the biggest disconnect to say, how is it that people don't link those strategic objectives to what people do every day? It's right. almost like that's the biggest divide. And so it's so easy to lose steam. It's so easy to say, I don't know what I'm working for. And for me, what I really love is these performance achievement conversations that seem to be coming up. I don't know if you're aware of it, but Accenture, Facebook, Deloitte are starting to have conversations that are performance achievement not necessarily performance management. So it's not this thing of, I come and sit with you, you're my, you're my leader, I sit with you once a year, you tell me, oh, Elaine, you did great, one, two, three, four, but you're failing on these, and so this is the performance management. We're, that's changing right now. And for me, it's like, yay, I'm so glad, because I don't know about you, if ever you were in a, in a workplace, whenever people said performance management, we start to feel scared like fear fills us right we're like oh my goodness what are they gonna tell me and performance achievement brings a coaching element to it to say how do i help you achieve your performance as your leader what can i do to help you achieve these things that you have set out for you like what role can i play in that and so it's very success orientated very forward looking yeah. And so for me, those conversations are starting to inspire me because I'm like, yay, finally, the big corps are starting to understand that things need to change because they're losing talent. They're losing great talent. And people are like, you know what, I'm done with that because that corporate, <laughs> corporate rat behavior, I'm done with it. That toxicity is starting to impact me like mental health. Um, body health, you know, all of those things are starting to become more life conversations. And we're saying, look, the small startups are probably the better places because we can create things and we can have control over the way in which we get to work and contribute. And so for me, those are, that's also why like entrepreneurship is a huge thing for me, just like you, you know, like that's where we plan ourselves to say, yeah, how do we help entrepreneurs become great? because they can hire and attract great talent. But entrepreneurs struggle a lot to just get started. And, and so, yeah, conversations are the days, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have to think back of the language school I founded and we work with volunteers. So mm. like, they are motivated. I don't motivate them by giving money. So I have to tune in and understand what is it they're motivated about and then get out of the way, right? Or support them in whatever way I can. Sure. And I, li I like what you say here, where you say get out of the way. Yeah. What does that mean? What does that mean for you? So I think almost nobody likes being told how to do things. Mm, sure. To... A certain degree, people like to be told what to do or to co-define co what to do and then mm -hmm. do it on their own way. Mm -hmm. So getting out of the way is together or as, as a leader, I define what has to be achieved. Mm -hmm. And then I say, you're motivated to do this. Go ahead and do it. And mm -hmm. I support you whatever way. I don't define... You have to do this, that, 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 that in this order. And you have to tell me every step of the way how you're going. No, that is micromanagement. That is that is supervision. Um, but I want to get out of the way and let them bring their passion and their 
their life to the mm. work and do it their way and that way infuse it with their passion yeah yeah and look the re i think the reason i also ask that is so many people don't realize that just by you know adopting a micromanaging style or kind of asking or like wanting to know every single step frustrates is frustrating for most people like i know it's frustrating for me i'm not someone who can work under like scrutiny i my, all, like I'm defiant in that <laughs> I will become defiant I will just like oh gosh if you feel like you could do better go ahead and do it I'll find something else to do because it's my yeah. nature to just defy and probably why I'm an entrepreneur is to be able to like create and I think for me it's so easy to control the things we know than to try to create a new thing and I think that's the job of leaders you know that as a leader we've got to take the time to sit and think and create and look at the vision and say, you know, what, what are we doing around this? Then to be someone who's like, because this is an easier task that I've kind of delegated, I'd prefer to get involved in that because I'm not doing the higher work that's the calling of leadership. Mm -hmm. I'd rather just get involved in what you're doing because it's easier for me. And it's in some ways a cop out of not actually stepping into creating, innovating, thinking outside the box, asking the hard questions. And for me, I, I love those conversations because they're so, um, uh, what is the word? Um, I'm gonna say brave, but I think courageous may be a better one. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's really stepping into courage. And, and it's courageous to not micromanage as well, right? Yeah, it's letting go of control. Control, that's the word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think for leaders in that position, it's also really important to, well, know themselves and know what they can and want to do. Mm. So mm. when I when I reflect on my, my own journey, um, so I lead a men's group and because of the loss of our, our son, I was unable to lead it in the, in mm. the way that I wanted to because I was destroyed. Yeah. So I let go of the reins and was like, let's just keep it as simple as possible. Don't change anything and don't ask me to do anything. Mm. And, you know, technically I'm the leader because I'm the founder and I'm I'm the one making the decisions. But I was not the leader in, in you know, a, a large period of the last three years mm. because I didn't feel the capacity. Mm. And I think that's really important also. Like, there's yeah. no... There shouldn't be any shame around that. Yes. No. And I know that there are leaders in positions where they feel overwhelmed. Mm. And then what they do is they, it's natural, they start controlling. Yeah. And they start thinking small. And they start about how can we make things more stable, which is the opposite of innovation. Exactly. And if we want to have... Uh, what well, In my definition of a leader, a leader is a visionary leader, who, one who innovates or leads to innovation and inspires and a leader who's overwhelmed can hardly do that mm. no i agree and i think that the courage <laughs> for me like my definition of leadership is courage like courageous right. like and also to lean into the discomfort because i think that so many times we're not brave enough to actually just lean into what is it that i'm feeling where am i how am i going to be able to articulated and 
I I think you know sharing you sharing your story. Thank you so much for like sharing that. Uh, we we have a common <laughs> we have a common pain because I I lost a baby as well. You know, like a, a son before Isabel and. I, I don't know. I don't don't ask me what happened. It was a blur. I mean, life was a blur. And that was many years ago. And I still wake up on Mother's Day. <laughs> I still wake up. And there was a time before Isabel was born that I'd wake up on Mother's Day and say, like, am I a mom? Do I get to stand up in church and get the flower that they give everyone? But right. I don't have a baby. Like, you know, you go through these things. And up to today, I still know, like, I'm a mom of two. And like my my uh, family portrait always have an empty chair. Like it's just it's that pain that you kind of live with, which just becomes a part of who you are, but not as a pain anymore, but more as a platform, which is what I find it to be in a platform to actually say, you know what, we're all broken in some ways. <laughs> There's yeah. a broken for all of us. And and that brokenness reveals who we really are at our hearts because the most beautiful thing about us is our heart. If we're living from our heart, I think that we show up so differently. We're kinder, we're nicer, we're, we're fun. We're more fun because like the heart has a life of its own. And, and for me, I'm, I'm waiting. I think my vision of the future is more people who live by their hearts, like heart first connect first and then create all this amazing things <laughs> like you know not just running after it but being brave enough to to and and so you know in leaning into the pain how has that like how has that been a gift for you now when you look back the yoram today like mm-hmm. who are you definitely different than before the loss so, so it's it's still a journey and Mm -hmm. one of the big things that i've taken away that i've learned mm, well let me give you a little bit of context so i used to always pride myself with being very optimistic Mm -hmm. very optimistic um and i was optimistic during the pregnancy as well and right before he died I was optimistic Mm. and then that was shattered Mm. so with time I have come to accept that optimism is good but that I want to couple it with proactivity Mm. so just thinking positive Mm. may make some changes but thinking positive and acting proactively is how I want to live sure that's amazing that is that is so beautiful because I think that so many times we just use the word right (laughs) like it's just it's just a word and doesn't have any like oh staying positive but what does that really mean and what does it mean when life is like kind of (laughs) just punching you the whole time and you be like how do I stay positive in all of this and and this is the thing, like for me, I am a generally happy person. As a kid, hmm. I just wake up, life is just happy. Like I, my parents always said, like when I left the house, it was sad for them because like happiness left. And when I'd visit, they would hear me coming the street. Like they would hear me coming down because I was greeting all the neighbors on the way home. And my mom would be like, yes, yeah, she's home, she's home. 
And when, when my loss happened, I stayed in the, in my bedroom in the dark. Cause I, I like everything I knew was shaken. Every single thing that I had built was like, but I believe this. And I have to tell you, you know, cause I'm a believer. And so I was angry with God. Absolutely. I was angry with God. Like for me, my anger was just directed to want to say, you have the power to, to change this for me, but you didn't like, where were you when my life was just ending? You know, like when things around me was just being crushed, like, were you sleeping? Did you take a nap? Like, you know, were you, were you like doing something else? Like where, like, and so for me, that was my biggest, I think my biggest battle. You see all the little the little movement in the glass. It's the homeschoolers. They sit up here, and I space. <laughs> I told them, "I'm gonna be like I'm gonna like I'm." They said, "No, Auntie Lane, we got headphones. We don't mind you." Today they're baking. Remember later. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I had to deal with that anger. You know, like my anger and like growing up as a as a believer, like someone who who loves God and was like God has always been a part of my life. I was not taught to be angry with God. I mean, like, no, you got me angry with God. Like, what was, what's wrong with you? No, 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 you shouldn't feel anger. And I was like, well, I, you know, I had to keep that a secret journey because I was angry. Like, I had to, I had answers. I had questions. Like, I needed answers and I had questions. And so, like, for me, I think being more authentic is probably what has also come out for me to say, no, you know what, today I'm just not feeling yeah, I'm generally quite a optimistic, happy person, generally. But there are days I just don't feel it. And that's fine. <laughs> that's just yeah. because I'm 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 learning to just kind of like feel the ups and the downs and see like, is there more to the picture? I'm reminded of the story of um Jim Collins in I don't know if it was good to great or great by choice, where he talks about the stocktail principle. And he talks about um, the, the, the general with the whole lot of soldiers. He said they were kept like in some crazy war, like I'm going to be so bad because I don't really like, but, but <laughs> they had to all like be in a bungalow trying to keep safe. And he said, the ones who died first were the optimists. Hmm. Because they kept saying, we're going to go home by Christmas and they didn't. We're going to go home by Easter and they didn't. And then at some point they'd given up on hope and then they were the first to die. And Viktor Frankl says the same, right? In Man's Search for I was just meaning. thinking about that. Yeah, he, he also said like those that were too, opt- like they were just like holding on to hope that wasn't like strong and fulfilled. Um, and so uh, the Stockdale principle is confront the brutal facts. So hold on to hope, but confront the brutal facts. And just to, you know, like, bring it back to our reality, specifically with entrepreneurs, those who bury their heads in the ground and say, oh, no, it's going to get better, it's going to get better without actually preparing for the better, like you said, you know, like change, look at what what is needed, what are the strategies, I feel that that's probably the lack where we don't actually confront those brutal, what are the brutal facts saying, burying our heads in the sand is not going to help, like, like for me, you know, telling you how this pain has helped me, I'm a totally different person. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, totally different. My priorities were horrible before. I was a high flyer. 
I was a high achiever. I was go, 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 go. I was traveling. I, in that pregnancy, I traveled. I didn't slow down. I didn't do a single thing. When I was pregnant with Isabel, everything changed. And I was like, it doesn't matter because this is the most important thing for me and my priorities will line up with what I am saying is important. And so everything changed. I take rest where, you know, like she, she gets the best mom. In all honesty, we work together. I tell everyone I have a colleague who's 11 years old because she's a homeschooler. So we work together and we play together and we do a whole lot of fun things together. And, you know, I have forced my work to fit into the schedule of me being a mom first. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I think I I see something similar in myself as well, that it has helped me become more authentic and listen more to myself and mm. accept accept more. Yeah. Accept my own opinions, my own feelings more and go with my own flow more. Um, yeah. So exactly what you just said. If I don't feel it, I don't do it. Yeah. As far as yeah. that's possible. Absolutely. I, I started this, um, you know, like the whole speaking, teaching, leadership work. And obviously for my world, like being in international development, that was the world that kind of like absorbed my coaching as the like first, um, you know, like clients. And I was speaking for the United Nations a lot. Isabel was like two or three. She was, she was young. And I, and I remembered like with the flexibility of this is I can take her everywhere. Like we'll all go, the whole family will go. Like wherever we need to speak, I need to speak, they'll go with. I remember the one day and it's etched in my memory because it was a turning point for me. I was in the hotel, I was preparing my speech. Like I was just going through my speech. I was doing a whole communication um, session and um, Tony was with Bella at the, on the beach and she was jumping and he was taking pictures of her and he sent a picture to me and I'm sitting at the at the desk and he, this picture comes in and I see her and she's full of joy and she's jumping and I my child has these huge curls because she's um she's mixed right so Tony's Ethiopian so she's got like curly beautiful like cur and her hair is like wild it's a big jump she's screaming and he takes a picture and I see that picture and I'm like oh my word she's having the time of her life and I go to the window to try to pinpoint where they are at the, on the ocean, because from where I'm sitting, I can see the I can see the ocean and I'm trying to pinpoint your room. I'm trying to say, like, where are they? And I catch a glimpse of them and they're as tiny as ants. And I'm like, am I going to be the mom who watches my child grow in a distant way where she's always going to be having joy? And I'm not the one in the picture, like I'm not that in that joy moment because I'm watching it from there. Am I gonna be that mom or am I gonna be like, that That uh, session was the turning point for me to say, nope, I'm not gonna be able to do this because I wanna be in those moments with her. I wanna like, the life is not like she'll fit into my business. No, 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 no. My business will fit into our schedule. And that's that's been my work for the past few years to say as an entrepreneur, where are my priorities? What is it? Man, I, you know what? She's 11 now. She doesn't play with me as much as she did when she was four. And I have to say, I'm so glad I did that when I did yeah. because 
I can try to force her now to do that with me. She's not. And I've got to also be open to changes that happen and be, um, what is it, relevant in the expectation of that stage of life. Yeah. It, it, it makes me think of these societal expectations. And I know it's, it's a bit different from one country to another, but um, it makes me think specifically about parental leave where mm. people who are not entrepreneurs who are employed get, mm. you know, be it a couple of weeks or a couple of months off from work. And we have, um, we have some friends who recently got twins and oh. she now has to go back to work. Oh, and I'm yeah. just thinking like, it's been just a couple of weeks. That's yeah. crazy. What kind of expectations are those? And I mean, I understand that, uh, that has to do a lot with finances as well, right? Because, mm. you know, she could quit her job potentially, but then there's no income from her side. But yeah. the, these these expectations, they aren't, they aren't really aligned with yeah. how we want to live, are they? No, they're not. And I think that it, it removes the thing of autonomy, which is what you spoke about earlier, right? Where it was like, you know, this is your thing. Go and do it. Do it in your way if we start to become output related, because, you know, entrepreneurs are the hardest working. And I know that, you know, we choose entrepreneurship because we can control the output and also it controls the <laughs> way in which we get paid through those outputs. But if corporates start to look at output related things to say, so when Bella was born, I was finishing my master's. Like, so I, I'm, I'm one of those, like, sometimes I have to be pushed to like the, like, get this off your table, Elaine. And so they told me, Elaine, you have to send your dissertation. It was a five year, like, like I took five years to get it done, industrial psych. So yeah, you know, it's like, and then Bella was a few weeks old and they told me, listen, if that dissertation doesn't come in, we're going to convert it to a postgraduate diploma. And then that's what you're going to get. And so you won't get the master's. And my, she was little, she was so swirled. She was like two months, like in that two months. And she was on the desk and I wrote the dissertation. Wow. And that's because this is who we are, right? So mm -hmm. we are able to do important things, get things off our tables. Sometimes we work later. You know, sometimes you stay up at late at night when the baby's asleep, get stuff done. I built a business while Bella was a baby. You know, like I, I built a, a whole business, a whole academy in my child. So it was like I got two kids at this point, like a physical one and then a business one, <laughs> a business baby, which is two years younger than her. But, but, we, but it's possible. And I think that organizations don't give people that possibility to say, how can you stay active? in both spaces what's going to work for you because yeah you've got a major transition kids are amazing but do you think it's possible for you to still you know meet your outputs but you don't have to be physically in a you know like an eight to five or whatever i do think that that kind of creativity and flexibility should be allowed for people to be able to be their best i mean yeah that's what i think i don't know i mean Obviously, there's people are different, but for me, I think that once you have the ability to choose, you you bring so much more of yourself to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think so. When I look back, um, I also recognize that 
if I do work my way, mm. and if I if I know myself and know how I best work, then I can produce so much output in so little time compared to following a procedure that has been prescribed by somebody who doesn't know how I work. Sure, hundred percent. But but haven't you seen that now we're starting to embrace this thinking a lot more? Where yeah, okay. So I've got these homeschoolers hanging around right here. You will be surprised if I had to show you how quietly they're sitting and working. And it's a nine-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 13-year-old, almost 14. But the initiative and the self-drive that comes from them because they're homeschoolers is something I take my hat off. They're, I sent their mom a message earlier and I was like, you have no idea how disciplined they are. Like, hmm. I didn't say, listen, guys, it's time for you to start to do your work. I was actually saying, let's go to the shops because you want to get your baking ingredients. Let's do that. But actually, Lane, I have all this work that I've got to get done. Can we do that first? Like that conversation for me was so beautiful. When you're 11 and you're able to initiate, you're able to drive, like have self-drive. Schooling yeah. systems do not create self-driven individuals. And hence, corporates hire people who are just rule followers because that's what we got taught at school sit raise your hand when you need to be spoken to and unfortunately that's not going to take us you know to the to find those solutions that we need it's going to be those like self-driven hungry people who are like wait wait wait, i've got to figure this thing out because i've decided it's important for me to figure it out yeah yeah uh so in july i will be um, doing an opening speech at the Global Entrepreneurship Education Summit. And Ooh, I yeah. love it. Love it. I love it. Oh my <laughs> Looking goodness. forward to it. Yes. And that's something I'm going to address. Yeah. Like, I mean, we, we already know it for some while that the educational system is preparing the kids for, you know, a hundred years ago or something. Yeah. Now, with AI and ChatGPT, you can summarize you any information, you know, in five seconds. Yeah. It is even less relevant to know stuff. So what is the relevant? To be creative, to create new stuff. So AI, AI is based on a huge data set. Yeah. But it cannot create something new as we humans can. Exactly. It exactly. cannot visualize a different future. Well, it can extrapolate, but it cannot visualize a different future. It can only base on the data it has. Yeah. Absolutely. And problem solving, because this is what we're able to do. We're able to say, hold on, hold on. You know, these are the patterns. Where's, how do we solve this? And for me, that how to think kind of thing of like how to solve problems, how to think creatively, how to have, you know, these um, convergent thinkings and to be able to switch between convergent, divergent thinking. That is not, we didn't learn. We don't have the dexterity for it. The one, you know, those of us in the workplace today, but these young people, oh my word, they build a Lego, they break the Lego down, they build a new Lego. I'm mm -hmm. like, what? That's amazing. Like you can see how their thinking helps them to create because they're just wired differently. And hence the reason I chose to homeschool. Now, it's yeah. not really homeschool because she's like on, they're all on a time for learning program, which is video based. But they have enough time because they're like done with their like stuff in two hours. They have enough time to play and do all sorts of other things because that's where they're starting to be creative and imagine and 
Um, some of their assignments is a day in the life of a spider, a day in the life of a bee, <laughs> like a day in the life of a pelican. You know, like that imagination, that thing of like, how do we cultivate the muscle, you know, our imagination muscle? Schools do not teach us that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so for me, I think it's a beautiful time to be alive that we are able to um, ask these questions. Mm. Yeah, for me, I think what I hear is just the power of taking responsibility. And that's, you know, you've taken responsibility for saying the school system, I don't like it. I don't want that for my for my uh, daughter. I'm going to mm -hmm. put her into homeschooling. Or I'm going to homeschool her. Mm -hmm. um, and then through the homeschooling, by the way, I wanted to homeschool our son too. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I was already thinking far ahead was like definitely homeschooling. Um, and through that, different type of schooling, they need to take responsibility. Mm, yeah. And with responsibility comes power. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think that maybe that's the issue, right? <laughs> the yeah. more power you're able to give away, the more decisions are made on your behalf, as opposed to you saying, hey, hold on, this is my life. And I want to be able to make decisions important to me. So yeah, look, I think how to think and not what to think is probably the biggest learning that we have ahead of all of us. Yeah. And, you know, where's our willingness? Because I think for me, you know, I told you this like earlier, my biggest issue is the unwillingness to change. I That is my, you know, like people just disregard it. And I've been trying to investigate, what is it? Like, you know, things are changing around you. You understand it, you see it all around, but you still choose to hold on to these prehistoric thinkings that it's really not serving who you are. What is it? And I would really like to think deeper on that. Like what what causes change for people must it come close <laughs> like you know for me it had to hit home for me to change my priorities yeah. and i do think that it was a like did i get signals earlier that i could have changed my priorities you know like and was i was i unwilling and so like you know so i go i'm going through that to say like you know how how do we become more courageous in saying i see a trend and i've got to respond to it and it's not hurting me yet, and it's not pinching me yet, but I know it's important for me to change directions today. Yeah, I think, oh man, so many thoughts come up, but I think what's, what's really sticking out is we, we humans, naturally are curious we naturally uh you know and curiosity is about change about changing things oh um, maybe i can do this differently you know um let's see what what happens if i do this or go mm. there or talk to this person in this specific way um but i think for many people what is missing is the safety to do that yeah yeah 100 <laughs> percent like yeah. without safety, I mean, we're just going to withhold, right? We're like, no, it's fine. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to live for my heart because, because why would you, why would you want to put yourself out in a place where you'll just constantly get attacked? And 
psychological safety specifically for organizations is starting to become an imperative. Definitely. For me, I think that that is, you know, like Amy Edmondson's body of work around what psychological safety could look like in organizations is a beautiful thing. I like in my country, we've got a long way to go, as you would know, our history is filled with atrocities on, you know, like division and for people to feel braver just in their color of skin is is the, just the work that we're busy with right now, you know, like to say, as Elaine, am I brave enough? And it doesn't matter what the color of people are around me, but, but mm -hmm. we still have spaces where we don't show up authentically because we're afraid. And so, yeah. you know, it comes back to that fear driven environments. Yeah. Well, we could open a whole new <laughs> podcast episode on that topic. Maybe we I would will. love to. Whenever you would like to, I would love to. <laughs> I will come okay. on just for that. Perfect. Good. Uh, for today, I do want to bring our session to a close with one last question, mm -hmm. which is, what's the best change you've recently implemented in your life? Yeah, I like that one. Thank you for asking. So um, I started this year and I did a session for Task Human Coaches. I'm not sure whether you were on that one. And it was looking at a growth environment. I loved it. I was so nervous because I do a lot of leadership work. We're talking to coaches. It's kind of like up level. I felt for me like this is like levels, like, oh, I was going through a whole lot of stuff. And so it was looking at what are the 12 indicators of a growth environment and I had that at the back of my mind, you know, like constantly looking at, am I in a growth environment? Am I growing every day? Because you can grow, but if your environment is one that is stifling, obviously you're not gonna become everything you're meant to be because your environment is just always imploding on whatever change you're bringing. And so that was the first kind of question. And then the framework that I brought forward was a quote by Eric uh, Toffler, which says, the illiterate of the future aren't people who cannot read or write. It's people who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. And I have lived with that quote for the whole year. At this point, I have developed a little framework for it. So I'm going to show, it, show you. It's like kind of a messy okay. little framework. Okay. So, you know, as somebody who's kind of, so it's like a, a little a tool. So in everything that I'm learning, I, I said, when I'm learning, am I brave enough to actually take the learning home? Because... We are bombarded with information, but we don't always apply it. And so every night, what was the key takeaways of my day? What question am I asking of myself? And what did I learn, unlearn, relearn for the day? And that's become kind of practice for me. Every day, I'm just saying, did I ask questions? Because I really want to improve my inquiry ability because I like to give answers. And that's not where change happens. Change comes through questions. And so what questions did I ask today? Like, you know, and so so just before I sleep in those few minutes, I'm just kind of doing an inventory of the day. And am I learning, unlearning, relearning? And I have to tell you, in my audit of unlearning, I've got more things that I need to unlearn than the things that yeah. I need to be learning. Yeah. Man, that's so good. So... <laughs> I, okay. I started a couple of days ago to add that to my uh, before bad journaling, the learning, but I'm going to add the unlearning too. That's that's great. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So that's where I'm at. It's like learning for me. And so I created a tool out of it 
because I'm busy with an adaptable leadership program for, for a corporate here and they bring entrepreneurs together. So they're kind of like an investment company and then I'm working with the entrepreneurs. And so I, we, we've been going through the tool of like, they've been doing certain work and then what is it? And when we come together, the only focuses we're looking at is what are the key, key questions? What are the questions you're asking from what you're learning? And because yeah. those questions are things that's bringing up stuff, we see that, oh my goodness, there's a lot of information within me and not mm. necessarily let me run to Google or ChatGPT. <laughs> yeah, great. Oh, thank you. Um, Welcome. Oh, I think with that, I would like to just thank you so much for being here. Uh, if you don't mind sharing, I would love to put that template into the description as a link. I will also link the Leadership Academy, your LinkedIn profile, mm -hmm. so people can find more about you, find out Thank more you. about you. And it's been a great conversation. And let's do another one on psychological safety. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to. Thank you for listening. If you got something out of this episode, share that with your friends or colleagues, or even with me by sending a message on my socials. Subscribe to get notified about new episodes, and leave a rating or comment in your app to help others find more life. If you have requests for future topics or suggestions for fitting guests, email me at joram at emergetoprosper.com. In the next episode, Terry Tucker and I will talk about authenticity and personal responsibility. Thanks again, and hopefully until next time.